0: Matthew 18 is where we're sitting. Um, This idea of forgiveness isn't the most exciting thing. Um, Some of you probably are recoiling at the idea of forgiving. Some of you much prefer uh, just forgetting or forcing it away from your presence, Just, just getting over it and not actually having to deal with when someone offends you. Forgiveness kind of has this idea that, well, I can be taken advantage of or I don't really want to get over it, or somebody gets away with something, and, and so we don't really love the topic of forgiveness. And uh, Jacob, take that down for just a second, because I'm going to set up what's going on in that uh, passage, but Jesus understands that forgiveness is something we must uh, get, a concept we must internalize and live out. Do you remember back to his model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he says, he uh, Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is included in how we are to live and how we are to pray every day. We are to pray for our personal forgiveness and for our ability to forgive. So this morning, there's two things I want you to think of. Can you accept forgiveness and can you extend forgiveness? Are you able to accept forgiveness and are you able to extend forgiveness Matthew six fourteen through and 15 is a really key passage on this. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. This is the uh, setup to what Jesus is about to teach. Matthew 18, if you notice in verses 15 through 20, some of you need to really understand what is happening here. This, what Jesus is setting up is a brother sins against a brother. What does that mean? A Christian sins against a Christian. How do you handle when someone offends you? Notice he doesn't say act petty, be passive aggressive. He doesn't say text your best friend about this and say, I can't believe what so and so just did. He doesn't say post a picture on Instagram without them in it to subtweet, right? Like, this is how we handle Christian conflict resolution. But that's not the biblical way. And I see a little bit of chuckling because we've been there before, right? Where, no, Jesus says, no, if you've got a problem, if somebody has offended you, you go to them first, right? The hope is that they repent of it, and then you have gained a brother, it says, then you have gained a close friend, that you, their repentance of how they have offended you has allowed you to reconcile a relationship. If they don't do that, Then you go to a godly person or two, maybe grab your small group leader to mediate and to help you in this conversation. If they still don't do that, then we bring them up in front of the church. I doubt many of you have ever seen that happen. Where, okay, this person has offended me and I'm going to tell it before everybody. We don't really participate in that much, do we? And then there's a really strong, if somebody's not willing to repent and feel remorse over what they have done, Jesus says in verse 20, have nothing more to do with them. Treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. Forgiveness matters. It's a really strong relational issues that's going on here, and that's going to bring us to Peter's asking of his question in verse 21. So it'll be on the screen, 18, 21, and 22. Then Peter, he always asks the questions we wish that we would ask, right? Like, so Jesus, you've just taught about forgiveness, How often can I let a brother sin against me and I forgive them? Okay, Jesus, yeah, I get this. I should forgive. That's a good thing. But, like, what's the limit, please? Like, will you just let me know when I can stop? And then he knows who he's talking to. The rabbi tradition of that day is forgive three times. That's how many times they thought God would forgive. So Peter goes to Jesus and he says, can I do it seven times? He's doubling the tradition of the day. Should I forgive seven times? In Jesus, never, um, never willing not to shock us here. He says, "I don't say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times." Some of your translations may even say seventy times seven. We don't have to fight over that because neither one are a thing we're keeping a tally of. All right. If we are to forgive, he's saying, hey, should I go and forgive seven times? Because at some point, I've got to stop getting taken advantage of. At some point, I've got to stop just letting my bank account being drained because this person just continues to sin against me and just use me. Uh, at some point, I've got to stand up for myself. Is seven times enough? Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let's try 77 times. So let's talk about that. If you are called to forgive somebody 77 times, you're probably not going to be able to keep track of that, all right? You're not going to be like, all right, this is 73, oh, here comes 74. Like, if I ask you how many meals you had this week, you could not. Even if I gave you five minutes, you couldn't come up with it, probably. Like, just keeping track of these things is just difficult. 77 times of Asher offending me, I'm not going to be able to keep up with, Right? nor do I need to. Can I really forgive Asher if I'm really just counting down the days till I don't have to forgive him? Right? Like, okay, we're two away. Just go ahead and just knock it out, buddy. Like, let's just get this over before Christmas, and then new year, new me, new us, everything, right? Like, forgiveness is over. We're counting down the date of vengeance. It doesn't make sense. Jesus is saying, we could keep track of seven. We're not keeping track of 77. And then there's something fun. I'm a math major. I enjoy math. I make Tyler, way to go. Uh, I make Tyler do math all the time around the office, and she hates it. Uh, But there's something fun he does with 77. So there's a few numbers here. 7 and 10 are your ways to get, if you're common core math, you can figure out how to get to 77. Seven is the idea of completeness, right? It's like the perfect number. I had a student come in one time, and I said, what was your Enneagram Um, you know, number. He said seven, so I must be perfect, right? Like, he thought he was so good. But Jesus is taking seven, and then he's multiplying it by ten, another number used in Jewish numbers as completeness, ten plagues, ten commandments, right? This is a complete way of doing it. He's saying multiply completeness times completeness, and then for good measure, add another completeness to the end of it. That's how you get seventy-seven. He's saying, how should your forgiveness be? Complete, full, in a sense, infinite. So then that brings us to verse 23. So let's read 23 through 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him that owed 10,000 talents. That means nothing to you? That's a really, really big number. That's like national debt number, like Jeff Bezos and Mark Cuban will go, ooh, that's a, that's a lot, okay? He owes 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payments be made. So the servant fell on his face, or fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will pay you. He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported this to their master, all that had taken place. The master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. He ain't going to be able to pay it. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This story that Jesus tells in light of Peter's question operates really in three different scenes. The first scene is the king saying it's time to settle accounts. It's time for me. We have a national coin shortage, right? Nobody can get anything in a vending machine. It's time for me to do this. It's, it's tax day. It's time for everybody to pay up. We just do this. This day of reckoning is upon us. So he begins settling his accounts with everybody that owes him a debt, and this man shows up that owes 10,000 talents. I told you it was a big number. One talent is about 20 years of work. One talent. Jesus says 10,000 talents, and honestly, 10,000 is the highest number in the Greek language, like numbers that they had. So Jesus picks the highest number that he can say and matches it with the highest bill that he can give and says, this is the man's debt. There could not have been, besides him saying infinite, there could not have been a way for Jesus to raise this number anymore. I guess he could have said two times 10,000, but math and may just made me come out with that. Sorry. Infinity times infinity. you know, there's a limit approaches, and OK. yeah. <laughs> this guy owes a number that's immeasurable. He, he's never going to be able to pay it back. The governor uh, we don't know so this probably is a king talking to a governor of a big province. We don't know why he's in this big of a debt. We don't know if he's abused his money. We don't know if he's wasted or just things haven't been good, a famine. We don't know why he's in this debt, but he is. And what happens? He's going to be sold, his family's going to be sold, and everything he owns is going to be sold. Not because it's going to pay the debt, because it's just going to make up some of the debt. So, what happens? I love the NAS. chapter. I mean, verse 26 says, So the slave fell down on his face. The NASB says it this way, the slave fell to the ground and prostrated him before his master, saying, have patience on me and I will repay you everything. He is face down at the feet of the king, like surrendering himself completely. This is a stance and a posture that most people have towards God. And he is laying down saying, please have mercy on me. Now, Jesus is setting up a story that's very common. Rabbis in that day would teach of a king, often they would connect that to God, a king who has servants. The good servants were how we were supposed to live. That's how the rabbis would teach it. The bad servants were the wicked ones, the ones that God disapproves of. So Jesus is starting down a very common path, but he ends at a very uncommon destination. He shows complete forgiveness, a full cancellation. Debt is all the way erased. Not only is that done, he gets his family and all of his property. He gets a fresh start in life. This is a God that the Pharisees are going, I don't know if I know this God. And Jesus is saying, let me tell you about this kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you about how my God interacts. Think with me about that servant that owed the 10,000. How many days had he fretted over that day of reckoning that was coming? Where he was going to have to stand and show the the debt that he has accrued. Where he was going to have his failures completely exposed. How many sleepless nights did he endure? Worrying about that day he was going to be found out. When he was going to be shown for what he really was. When he was never going to be able to be paid. What was he thinking? Did that day consume him? Had it left, I mean, had it robbed him of peace in his life because he was so worried about this debt that he owed? Is this where you sit? Swallowed by a debt of sin and shame? So consumed by it that you just fear, not look forward to that day of Christ's return? Because for you, it's not a day of jubilation, it's a day of reckoning. You are fearful of how deep and how dark you have lived. Fearful that you're going to be exposed. Maybe you accept that God may forgive you, but you are terrified that somebody around you may figure out. You've heard that you're going to have your sins read to you almost. We've we've heard that passed down, right? You're just hoping nobody's around during that time, right? Because if you were seen for who you are and what you have done, those nights are taken away as you stress over the things you have done. These days haunt you and burden you. But remember, his plea is met with complete mercy. Complete mercy. Complete forgiveness. Complete wiping away of debt. Not more time, not a lowering of the debt to a manageable place, complete forgiveness of his debt. That brings us to Act 2. The forgiven man goes out. He now moves from debtor to creditor in a relationship. He walks out, and he sees a guy that owes him money. He goes up to this guy that owes him 100 denarii. Now, he's owed probably hundreds of millions of dollars. This guy owes thousands of dollars. Don't let anybody diminish it to you. The message will say, he owes $10. No, no, no. That's not 100 denarii. 100 denarii is 100 days wages, okay? This guy owes a few thousand dollars. It's not a cheap debt, but it's a manageable debt. The the forgiven man now goes up as the creditor and says, pay me what you owe. And do you see he chokes the man out? That's not how he was treated. But he begins to choke the man. The man says the same words, have patience on me and I will pay you. He leaves off everything because it was understood he was going to pay everything. Have patience on me. And then something interesting happens, verse 30. It says that this creditor refused. He refused to give mercy. It's not that he couldn't give mercy. He chose not to give mercy. There's a huge difference there. It's not that he couldn't forgive. He was unwilling to forgive. Is that you and me? There's an opportunity. When somebody hurts us and harms us, when somebody offends us, and somebody does something that's a sin against us, we have the choice. But oftentimes we don't want to take it. We refuse it. This man refuses it, throws him into prison. Why? Is he greedy? Is he callous? Is he hard-hearted? I want us to look at two words as we kind of wrap up this story today. The two words are mercy and justice. How do you handle mercy and justice? How do you balance those two things? Because don't they seem contrasting? Don't you have to be one or the other? Here, I'll give you a quick test. When you get a speeding ticket... Do you expect justice or mercy, or does it matter on the miles per hour over? Like, some of you, Ethan, would, would even be going 15 miles over and go, well, he probably should give me a pass. After all, I'm on my way to far retreat, right? He's repented, he's remorseful, he's changed, he's a new person. No, he's not. Okay, sorry. Uh Some of you, also, when you receive, not even an 89.5, when you receive an 88.5, you say, well, 88.5 should roll up to 89, which should roll up to 90, right? Like, Carol, you're with me on that. Like, that's how it is, right? Like, A is now really, you know, we, we go, nah, come on, I deserve mercy. Others of you treat yourself with very much justice. And you have lived, well, I'm not good enough. I demand perfection. It has to be perfect. It has to be this. It has to be that. How do you handle justice and mercy? How do you handle it with yourself? How do you handle it with others? Do you, uh, when I say be merciful to others, internally do you have, maybe it's your dad's voice or your internal voice going, not everybody should get a trophy. There's winners and losers. There's right and wrong. Right? Okay, maybe some of you guys caught on that one. Are you quick with your justice? Do you ignore any opportunity for compassion or pity? I love that w- word there, the, his person had pity on him. Jesus had that same pity when he looked out at the crowds when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. It's the same Greek word. He had pity on them and takes care of them. Uh, are you skeptical of others' life change or do you celebrate it? Do you really think things can change or have you been burned too many times so now you don't even trust people how do you handle justice and mercy i think there's four different options and we're going to pop them up the first one you have mercy for you oh wait i did this me and you crap that sucks (laughs) we're going to fix that all right so if you see the editor justice for yourself but mercy for others Justice for yourself, but mercy for others. Who is this person? You believe that Jesus can save everybody, but not you. You believe that his grace is sufficient for everybody, but you can't accept it. You would go and preach to death row about the goodness and grace And yet you would go home and a silly sin that you choose, you would say, disqualifies you from the love of God. Do you give mercy to others and justice to yourself? If that is you in this room, and I think that's a lot of us, where you demand righteousness for yourself, but you allow others to take on Christ's righteousness. If that's you, read verses 23 through 27 again. His debt is fully paid no matter how great it was. If that's you this morning, go back to Luke 15, 11 through 24 and read of the younger son who is interrupted with love, who is interrupted with clothes, who is interrupted with a ring, who is interrupted with shoes, who is interrupted with a kiss, who is interrupted with a party. Because the lost has been found, the dead has been returned alive. If that's you this morning, you need to hear 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He didn't say some. He didn't say most. He didn't say, well, the ones that you shouldn't just keep doing because you're being stupid or selfish or sinful. No, all unrighteousness is forgiven. There is not just mercy for others, there is mercy for you. And too many in this room right now, live with mercy towards others and justice for self. The second group is you take on mercy for yourself but you only extend justice to others. Mercy for self and justice for others. Look at me. You are the wicked servant of this story. You are the forgiven man who flaunts his forgiveness and never extends it 34 and 35 or 32 and 30 through 35 you wicked servant i forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me and you should not and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as i had mercy on you go back to matthew 6 if you don't forgive i will not forgive you i was reading this week it's a man it's a strong line god cannot and will not accept with compassion and mercy those who are unwilling to extend compassion and mercy forgiven people forgive people guys if you're going to sit here and say i'm forgiven but i'm not going to forgive you you need to experience some justice you need to go back and read over the forgiveness you've experienced. You need to remember the sins that you have committed that have been washed white as snow. You need to remember the debt that's greater than 10,000 talents that you have accrued. The third one is the justice for all. This is Pharisaical Christianity, right? This is a person who has a really poor picture and understanding of God and has a really exalted view of self. They just care about righteousness. Can you live good enough? Let me burst your bubble. You can't. If you were here three years ago, I did a whole series at Fall Retreat saying, you are not enough. You're not. I don't care how holy you act, how many times you open your Bible, how prayerful you are, if you lead a small group, if you have saved ten people. You haven't, Jesus has anyways. I don't care what you have done. Unless your righteousness exceeds out of the Pharisees, Matthew 5, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Thankfully, you don't rest on your own righteousness, but you rest on the righteousness of Christ, your Savior, whose righteousness is perfect. Pharisaical Christianity, Pharisaical views of justice for all, need to understand that God is not a vengeful God out there seeking to catch us in our deepest and darkest sins. Exodus 34, 6. I'm going Old Testament, so you can't ever say the Old Testament God's different than the New Testament God. Here's what Exodus 34, 6. "'The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, "'slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love "'and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love "'for thousands, forgiving iniquity "'and transgressions and sins.'" This is our God. If that is not the God you know, the God you worship, the God you show up to when you read your Bible, if that is not the God you pray to, if you fear God as a vengeful, trying-to-catch-you person, you need a refresher course on who God is because He loves you and He runs to you and He accepts you as you are not as you should be because you're never going to be as you should be. He comes to you even in the midst of your sin, even in the midst of your debt, and He says, I want to throw my arms around you. I want to celebrate our relationship. Finally, we have the mercy for all. I'm going to be honest. Internally, I'm struggling saying this. I think this is what the passage is teaching. In my head, I'm going, but where has to be justice? There has to be uh, what is right and what is wrong. What is Jesus teaching? Forgiven people begin to be, they forgive people, right? And we're not talking about fake repentance here. We're not talking about fake forgiveness, where you confess, but you don't change. We're talking about if somebody is remorseful and repentant of their sin, only, uh, only way that we can treat them is to forgive. Unrepentant people, he says, just do away with. People that do desire to change, no matter how many times They have broken your trust. The only posture we can take is forgiveness. So, do you accept forgiveness? And do you extend forgiveness? Do you accept forgiveness? Do you believe that you are actually forgiven? If you're writing something down today, that's a question I would ask yourself. Do you believe that you are forgiven? Do you accept it? Or does a sin from three years ago, does a choice or an action, a decision you made this weekend, do you feel like it has disqualified you? Jesus experiences the justice of God so that he can extend the mercy of God to us. Jesus has experienced the justice of God So that he can extend the mercy of God to us. So that you can be fully forgiven. Do you actually believe it? If you do, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say it out loud because it's hard to at times. So I'm going to say it a few times. I want you to say it out loud with me. I am fully forgiven. I am fully forgiven forgiven do you believe it i am fully forgiven do you accept that i am fully forgiven this students you need to catch because if not the next 10 years of your life will be doubting it will be questioning it will be wondering it it's going to have repercussions in every relationship you have the second is can you extend forgiveness forgiven people forgive people it only makes sense. So it's not I am fully forgiven. Now it is I will forgive. Will you say that with me? I will forgive. We're going to say it one more time because we've got to prove it to ourselves. I will forgive. That's the point of this lesson. I know it's childish here at the end doing that, but you've got to be elementary in this understanding. All right, I'm going to tell a story. I went long, sorry. Corey Ten Boom. Some of you know that name. She um, lived in Holland and during the, um, World War II. She um, brought in and housed and concealed Jews in her home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. She was found out. She was thrown into a concentration camp. Her and her sister, her sister, does not survive it. They're at Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her sister does not survive, but she does. And upon leaving that concentration camp, she would then go and teach of God's grace and mercy and goodness to churches both in Holland and in Germany. And she would use this. She said, when we confess our sins, God casts them into a deepest ocean gone forever. One night when she was talking, she finished, and most of the time people just leave, um, but this person started coming up, and she noticed his coat And made her way up to see his face. And when she saw his face, it was forever seared on her mind. Because during her time at Ravensbrück, he was a guard. And the pain, the torment, the torture that he had laid upon her and her family and those around her, she would never release. He walks up to her. He said, hey, I was a guard at Ravensbruck and I want you to know that upon leaving that upon the end of the war, I've become a Christian committed my life to following Jesus. He has forgiven my sins. He has set them off on that boat far away. But he said, I'd like to hear you forgive me. And he stuck out his hand and he said, will you forgive me? And this is what she says, I stood there. I whose sins have every day to, do, to be forgiven, could not. My sister had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking it? It couldn't have been many seconds that, that he stood there. He held out his hand, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled through the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has prior conditions, that we forgive those who injure us. You don't forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, Neither will I, your Father in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So she said, I prayed this silently. Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand, I can do that. You must supply the feeling. She says, she reached up her hand, and soon as they grasped hands, she said aloud, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard, then the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And then I was reading a little bit more. She said, you would think after that, forgiveness would be easy. And she said, every day I struggle forgiving. Not him, but my friends over petty and inconvenience and offenses that aren't nearly as big of a deal. She said, every day I have to pray for grace and the goodness of God to help me forgive. Because forgiven people forgive people.